I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Carol. I am a parenting coach. My background is actually as a social worker. So I spent over a decade, sometimes tricky to think about how long it actually is, over a decade working in foster care. So we're children um, heavily involved in child protection, very focused on child safety. Uh, once I had my own children, I actually found it really difficult to go back into that work. Suddenly I wanted to just bring all of the children home with me. <laughs> and I realised I needed to do something a little bit different. So I started teaching body safety in schools, which is going into schools, talking to grade 1s and 2s about the fact that their private parts are private and um, that we don't play games with private parts and all of those sorts of things. And through that work, I really started to develop a passion for prevention, realising the, the information that we give our kids and how that influences their life experiences and potentially also their mental health not just right now in that moment but for their entire future and that really ties very closely with why i love doing these presentations why it's so important to me to come out and have the opportunity to talk to groups about this stuff to get people really focused and thinking about what they can be doing really empowering, putting out an empowering message that there are things that we can do to keep our kids safe. So that's what we're going to talk about today, our kids and the internet, how to keep them safe and what to do when it all goes wrong. And if you've had it go wrong in your family, I want you to know you are not alone. I would, it's almost without exception. Now if I meet a parent who says that nothing has all gone wrong, I start to think, <laughs> <laughs> are we yeah yes or it hasn't happened yet but it is sadly basically inevitable that things go wrong online and our kids are facing these issues these dangers every single day and if we the parents aren't focusing in on what those dangers are and learning more about them we're leaving our kids to manage it all by themselves and I think we really have to sort of take a good hard look in the mirror and go how comfortable do we feel with that are we okay with them managing it all by themselves? From the conversations we've already had in here, I can tell that within this group, you're not leaving your kids to manage it all by, them, by themselves. You are, in fact, already being very proactive. The very fact that you are here tells me that you're engaged, you're being proactive, you're wanting to listen, learn, reflect, grow, see what else you can possibly do. And that is amazing, amazing because it does make me really sad. I think we have to be really honest and say, that's not happening everywhere. There are a lot of parents who aren't really engaging with this topic yet. And I think it's worth taking the time to think, well, why? Sometimes it's for very genuine, understandable reasons, like they're just too overwhelmed with other things. If you're finding yourself really under a lot of financial pressure, or you're experiencing domestic violence, or you're homeless, Online safety might not be hitting the top of the agenda. So for people who can have the capacity to, to really think about it, and then also start thinking about how we can contribute to social change, what other structures could be in place that then benefit everybody. You know, How could we make the world, the whole online world safer? So for those kids whose parents can't engage with this topic, and can't do the work, how can we make sure that they're safer too? So. That's who I am. Do you have any questions at this point? Can you tell me what you're hoping to get out of tonight? Do you have any burning things that you want to make sure that I cover, that I can weave in to the presentation? Is like there too many to mention? No, I feel like what you said is like exactly what I'm like, as you've said a few things, I'm like, 
yeah, I want to know more about that. But I think you're right in that, look, we, I'm sure we've all done it. Sometimes when you are overwhelmed and you're trying to get something done, it's easy. Fine, just go just on your do it. I know. Go on your... Just, like... I'm sure I'm not the only one who has done that. You are absolutely not the only one. And we're all human. Like, I think especially when we become parents, the world almost tells us, you're superhuman to be getting all of that done, to be doing this and doing that. At the end of the day, we're actually not superhuman. We're perfectly human and we're doing the very best we can. And we have our limits and we're going to have moments where we just can't do it all. And that's okay. And... The truth is we're actually in a situation in terms of internet safety we are in a situation as parents that we should not have ever had to be in. yeah the structures and supports and systems should be in place to keep our kids safe yeah but they're not and that's really why we're here i did just think of one thing yep probably the thing that feels a bit out of control is that everything at school now is so screen related And so I know when our daughter, she's in year 10 now, but I know when she was started in year 7, because we have a no devices rule in bedrooms. Yes. But... (laughs) We're so happy. I'm just thinking. I actually felt my heart start to sing. (laughs) But then COVID happens, right? And so what are they doing? They're in their bedrooms on their laptops. Yes. But it's hard to, like... You know that they need to do what they're doing for schoolwork, but then incorporated in that is messengers social stuff yeah. and all yes. this and it's like and by are you doing homework <clears throat> on your laptop right now yes well if she tells me yes then yeah i mean what i'd like to think do? that i can trust my kids but you i know, think you've just highlighted a them. really really important point which is that our educa- our education system has a big role to play <clears throat> within this space yeah and there are some schools doing an amazing job and then there are others where it is not front and centre enough of the time. Schools are responsible for normalising <coughs> so many things culturally for yeah, us. Right. So when a school sends out links on YouTube and encourages the kids to watch it, by default they're normalising kids being on right. YouTube. Yeah. When they're sending out instructions for small children to Google, they're normalising small children Googling. Are they then at the same time instructing parents to make sure that they're supervising. When they tell kids to have airdrop on so that they can receive assignments, are they then instructing them to turn it off yeah, and talking about what the dangers yeah. of airdrop might be? So, yeah. so there are so many layers to where our education system, and I, I hesitate to say it because I love our teachers, our teachers yeah. work so hard, yeah. there are so many individual teachers doing phenomenal work but then we have to take a bit step back from looking at individual teachers and go mm. systemically how we're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. The more we normalise kids being on technology and the internet, at the same time we are responsible for going, how do you stay safe? How do you stay safe? And you're not if you're not having that conversation in equal measure, then we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, as a parent, when if you're thinking about it and you're seeing this at every layer, it gets overwhelming because. Mm. I would encourage parents to speak up every time you see it. Yeah. When you see them not mentioning the internet safety, when you see them not mentioning what could go wrong and how to prevent that, every time sending an email. And that you shouldn't have to do that advocacy. That advocacy is exhausting. It's exhausting to be that parent. But without that parent, change doesn't always happen. Change yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah.
think, um, just, I think it's yeah. interesting too, just looking at it from the perspective of grandparents. You know, a lot of kids spend a lot of time these days with grandparents as well. And, mm. you know, and my you, parents have no rules. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say that because I didn't want to offend you. I can say, <laughs> I can say, I can say it, that's what that's, and yeah. I think that's a big challenge, isn't it? Yes. Because the kids, <laughs> they might be instructed at home, but when mm. they go, Yep. somewhere else how do we handle that and yeah. I think that's yeah issue. how do we create that consistency create that consistency that's right yeah. Yeah. disconnect yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but it's a big issue and I know talking to other grandparents you know they say they wouldn't have a clue what the kids are doing yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think actually a lot of parents feel quite the same way yeah. they feel like their kids are so much better at tech than they are and that mm. they can't keep up that's right and so that then becomes like a mental block mm. of the whole topic yeah. is my kids yeah, will outsmart me, yeah. so what is the point? Yeah. Yeah. So I suspect that for grandparents, yeah, that's even bigger. It's true. It's where do you even start with learning? Yeah. My I'm poor just parents. Always too suspicious. I'm always assuming. <laughs> he really does, and I, I crack it at him. Because we've got good kids, we do. But I'm so do right I, but they tell a fibberoonie to get oh. some extra tech time yeah. and to be messaging their friends. I'll tell yeah. you right now, <laughs> they go to bed, I'm in, and I look at history, I'm looking at everything. Yeah. And anyway. <coughs> and so do I, but my kids know, say my kids know that. While yeah. I pay the bill and while we're still navigating. Oh, we make that very clear that we'll... I will be yeah. looking yeah. at you occasionally. I think, though, you've just hit upon a really good really important point we've got good kids we've got good kids a lot of people will say i've got good kids i know i, know I can trust them i, I know, know i've got good kids but i, I yeah. know <laughs> i can tell with you that too. there was a but coming but for a lot there's not a but coming after that it's yeah. they're sensible They'll, they make good choices yeah. we've had this conversation we signed that online safety contract mm -hmm. I trust that the maturity is not there for them and that's to... what it is <laughs> you have got good kids everyone has got amazing kids I've worked with so many teenagers and without fail I walk away from them thinking oh my god I love teenagers <laughs> they're witty they're so you have smart. a teenager? No, I don't. I've worked with a lot of them. And, yeah. and I've worked with the ones who, you know, just run rings around you every time. Like, I can't keep up with this kid. But you can't give them enough credit, honestly. Yeah. They, are, they, they can be awesome. They can also be exhausting. But at the same time, they can be an amazing kid. And they don't get have fully developed impulse control yeah, yeah, and yet they don't have the emotional regulation of an adult yeah. and their brain won't be fully developed until their mid 20s <clears throat> and they won't think through all of the potential consequences yeah. of their actions and when they get tired in the, it's midnight it's yeah. one o'clock in the morning the thinking part of their brain is literally shut down because that's what happens that time of night we're in the limbic system of our brain we're the feeling center we operate from there so literally we've turned off the thinking part of our brain the prefrontal cortex mm. that's why the majority of drama cyclones that occur on messenger chats and you name it start in the middle of the night because no one's thinking straight so all of these things mean that you can have great kids but can they outsmart a predator you can have a great kid but can they spot that they're about to be sexually exploited online? You can have a great kid and all of these risks still apply. We can't think that having a great kid means they're safe to navigate the online world.
mm -hmm. by themselves. And there's peer group pressure too, isn't there? Absolutely. And peer group pressure is, for teenagers has existed since time began. It's just the online world has given it a whole new dimension and danger and <clears throat> overwhelming parental fears that go along with that. <laughs> so why are we here? I want to warn you now, we are in for some uncomfortable conversations. In my presentations about online safety, I don't want to shy away from the difficult stuff. I want to be saying the stuff that is most important because that could save someone's life, genuinely. If I give parents these warnings, it might just make the difference. I, I won't know about it, but it might make all the difference for that child down the track. So I don't want to shy away from the really hard conversations, but I do want to name the fact that that can be difficult. And so if you do find you need a break, if you need a cup of tea, if you need a hot chocolate, if you need a biscuit, <laughs> you need to go to the bathroom and just have a cry, that is okay. It's okay to get up and just walk away. I won't take offence, no one will take offence. It's really important to take a break if you need it. And ask questions. Ask questions throughout. Ask questions afterwards. Get in contact with me afterwards. Whatever you need. Okay. So let's get straight into it talking about some of the reasons that we're here. Nudes, capping, and sexploitation. Do you guys, well, I'm gonna take a guess you already know what nudes are. <laughs> that one's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Yeah. How common do you think it is for kids to be pressured into sending nudes or receiving nudes? And at what age do you think it becomes a risk for our kids that they might be asked to do this? I think it's more common than we think. Yeah, I think it's quite prevalent even as early as year seven from a, a peer group and then in primary school from probably, oh, I thought it was more older kids insinuating that sort of thing. Yeah. So among our older kids at high school, this will be just basically what they regard as just a normal part of their life. Something that's normal to request, something that's normal to have to say no to the request or normal to oblige to. It's so normalised for them that it might not even stand out as something that even alerts them to, oh, this makes me feel uncomfortable. It's just part of the world that they're navigating. What is scary, though, is that it does start young, it's younger and younger and younger ages. So we've seen this kind of gradual filtering down. If at first, when smartphones first kind of 2007, I think, was the launch of the smart... What was that? Facebook? I should double-check that. It's about 2007. At first, that was kind of an adult behaviour. Very quickly started filtering down into our teenagers. What we're seeing now is even requests in primary schools for nudes, kids talking about nudes, kids pressuring other kids to send them. So even when we've got children in primary school, this is something we need to be thinking about. That doesn't sit very well, does it? Primary school, up to the age of 12, well and truly should be a time when we can just assume that they should just be enjoying the childhood, yeah. not being pressured to send these kind of explicit images of themselves. Capping, does anyone know what capping is? No, no I don't. Capping no. is actually short for capturing. Uh. Ah. Essentially, capping refers to tricking someone into sending a nude image of themselves, i.e. by pretending to be someone that someone is not. So an adult pretending to be a teenager, building a relationship with a child online and then managing to convince them to send a nude. Sexploitation, what do you think that might be? 
feel like I should know what that means. Yes, I kind of don't. Yeah. <laughs> like obviously there's something about exploiting. Exploiting. And so I don't know. Is it is it then is it some sort of bribery involving the use of nudes? Yes. Yeah. Spot on. And this is becoming so common that now our Australian Federal Police are warning our teenagers about it. Our what's called ACE, the Australian Centre for the Centre to Counter Child Exploitation is warning us about it. Sexploitation is uh, follows on. It's used interchangeably with capping. Someone is tricked into sending a nude to someone who is not who they said they were. And then the threats start to escalate very quickly. Send me more or else I'll send what I've already got. I'll send it to everybody in your network. I'll send it to your school principal. I'll send it to your parents. The requests escalate. What do you reckon the impact is on a child Terrible. navigating that? Anxiety levels yeah, fear. through the yeah. room. What do you think might stop them from speaking up and immediately running to a parent and saying, this is happening to me? Shame. Yeah, confusion, fear. shame. Yeah, shame, fear, confusion. Fear that they're going to get in trouble. Mm. They probably know they shouldn't have sent the first image. Mm. They yeah. have actually committed a crime when they've sent that first image. Mm. So when they've taken that image of themselves, if they're under the age of 18, it's producing um, child exploitation material. They send that. The person who receives it can also be charged with a crime. So children sending nudes to each other, even in consensual situations, is not something we can afford to normalise because they are actually committing a crime. Can I ask you, so child, child sending a photo is committing a crime? Yes, absolutely. It's child exploitation material. Now frighteningly, what is increasingly becoming a problem is children producing exploitation material of themselves. And we'll get more into talking about this when we talk about predators. But these issues, sometimes we're tempted to think that because they're online, you know, we're dealing with, it's not in the real world. It's not the same as being sexually abused in real life. But actually the impact of capping and sexploitation, significant. We know that across Australia, it's already driven multiple teenagers to suicide. And the mental health impacts carry on. It's not an experience that you just can leave behind you quickly. It's something you live with for a very long time. How do you think you would know if a child was experiencing sexploitation? Or if it was something that had just recently happened to them? Behaviours. Yeah. So normally you'd see their behaviours are normal, like what you've been seeing them for a while, and suddenly you'll see a change. Yeah. Hopefully you are able to pick up on it. Um, and if they're more social and bubbly and stuff like that, that might come down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, worry factors and all that. Yeah, absolutely. You've hit it on the head. They might become more reclusive as well, so hiding away in their room. They might become quite fearful, secretive. Yes. But unfortunately, there's some stereotypes about teenagers as well, aren't there? That staying in their room might be normal, that it's just hormones that they don't really want to tell their parents anything anyway. Mm. You know, no teenager wants to talk to their parents is the rhetoric that we hear. I actually disagree. I think most parents, most teenagers do want to be able to talk to their parents. They're just afraid of getting in trouble. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of being lectured. They're afraid of the advice they might be given. They're afraid they won't be able to express themselves freely. And maybe also the way they report up. 
Mm, absolutely. Yeah, if, if children have been raised in houses where their feelings haven't been responded to with care, if they've been shamed for their feelings as they were, when they were smaller, if they've gotten in trouble for expressing their feelings, don't give me that. Don't talk to me like that. Stop being, a, don't want to see that miserable face hanging around here. Take that anger somewhere else. It makes perfect sense then, doesn't it? When they hit their teenage years, that they're going to stop expressing their feelings. So coming back to nudes, capping and sexploitation, really hitting a point where this is, nudes is basically an almost an everyday part of our teenagers' lives and capping and sexploitation are ever-present risks. The more the sending of nudes gets normalised, the more at-risk children are of, sex, of capping and sexploitation. So it's something we've got to be holding in our mind front and centre. It's not something we should have to be thinking about and yet here we are. Predators. Online predators. What's the issue? Who are they? What's the impact and how would you know? How common do you think it is for children to encounter predators? Very, I think. Mm. Yeah. Very, yes. Essentially the more time a child spends online, especially unsupervised, it reaches a point where it is almost inevitable that they will encounter a predator. A good friend of mine, his name's Jen Hoey, she started an advocacy group called Not My Kid. A couple of years ago, she rang, she was talking to ACE, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, and she asked them, this was a couple of years ago, she wouldn't ask this question now, she asked them, what apps are safe? You know, what can I tell people, that, what, which apps are safe for their kids to be on? And the person from ACE said very clearly, none of them. If they're marketed for children, then predators will follow. Yeah. We have always known that predators seek out easy access to unsupervised children. That has always been the case. The online world has made it even easier. Kids spending unsupervised time on Roblox, very quickly escalating into asking them, come, come and meet me on this Zoom, come and meet me over on Discord, yeah. where we can have a more private conversation kids playing any game, any game, no matter how marketed it is towards children, if they are able to be in contact with strangers and they are not supervised, they will encounter a predator. It is literally just a ticking clock. And then that child is on their own. If their parent is unaware of the risk that's facing their child, they are on their own managing that situation, trying to escape that predator, potentially completely unaware that that person is a danger to them. One thing we have to be really mindful to of online predators is that things escalate much more quickly. So we've known that in real life, in the physical world, predators will generally, sexual predators generally will take their time grooming children. They build a relationship with the family, they build a relationship of trust with the child, they'll seek out one-on-one -on -one time, they'll bring gifts, they establish bonds through secret keeping. All of that takes usually some time. In the online world, it doesn't take so long. In the online world, it can escalate in the blink of an eye. We'd refer to it as more of a shotgun approach. Just ask many children, you know, meet you over on Discord, but you can have a quiet conversation, see which one takes the bait. Things escalate very, very quickly. Do you think that because it happens online that it has less of an impact for our kids? No. No. Would it be because you... You, you're less able to discern because you're not, there's no body language, there's no tone that you're picking up, there's no 
does it make sense? Like, it's all text as opposed yeah. to... Yeah, well, I think that perhaps predators too have just gotten braver. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they, there's so, it's so low risk for them. Yeah. If you think about in the real world, yeah. you're in a space with people, they know who you are, they know you're, like, yeah. you're very easily identifiable yeah. online. You're shrouded in secrecy. It's much harder for people to find yeah. you. So why not? And they know that they can. It's the online world is an amazing playground. It's almost like it's been designed for predators to be able to yeah. access children. Certainly hasn't been designed with child safety in mind. There are very few apps that are built from the ground up with child safety in mind. The only one I can think of would be Messenger Kids, which still has problematic features, yes, but yes. it was designed to be that platform. Yeah. All of the others have child safety as kind of tacked on as an afterthought. It's inadequate. The moderation levels aren't there. It just doesn't work when we do it, when we do it like that. When, um, like when kids are in a virtual world playing games, it's difficult then to distinguish what's real and what isn't real. Absolutely. And that sort of, it almost conditions, doesn't it? Yes. To accept what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And it must be hard, you know, when they're very young to actually, as you say, they're not developed enough to be able to ascertain that and determine that. That's right. They can't assess so risk. vulnerable. That's right. Um, and if someone has built up a friendly relationship with them and then asks for a picture with just their T-shirt on or just yeah. their singlet or just the just keeps going and it can seem for a child who doesn't know any better that could seem perfectly playful That's they right. might not have a reason to think why is this is that this is unusual and very quickly it will turn into sexploitation of well now I have these images of you so do do more so uh, some people have asked me I was at a wedding once and someone asked well <laughs> these conversations seem to just find me <laughs> someone said to me but what actually happens if it's online is the danger that the predator will want to meet up with them in real life? And I said, well, yeah, that, that happens. But also that doesn't have to happen for a child to be sexually abused. They can be sexually abused through that online world. They'll be instructed on what to do. It will be live streamed. They'll even be exploited into then sexually abusing their own siblings and left with no choice. They're so fearful of what might happen if they don't, that the situation escalates, escalates quickly. And it can escalate in a bedroom behind a closed door while parents are just cooking dinner mm. in the kitchen. So we're living in this world now where we can't assume our children are safe just because they're at home. Just because they're in their bedroom, they're no longer just in their sanctuary. Danger can find them. And sometimes when I say that, it feels like I'm being quite melodramatic or it feels like I'm spreading fear. But actually, when we stop and think about it, fear in relation to the online world is the appropriate response. Fear exists for a reason and it exists to then introduce caution and to make sure we're thinking proactively about what we can do and about what actually could be going on to think more deeply about it. It sounds awful when I say to parents, no, I'm actually okay with you being afraid. Afraid is the appropriate feeling. But because that feeling exists for a reason and then we use that to motivate ourselves into action. If we're not afraid, we won't do anything about it. We won't take action to keep our kids safe. Porn. What's the issue? What's the impact and how would you know? 
What do you think the issue might be? What have you already learned about children and pornography? They don't have the emotional intelligence or um, decision-making skills to know that whether what they're doing is if they're making a considered decision, if they want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. um, they don't, I mean, they wouldn't even know that it's illegal or illegal or have a depth of understanding about what they're participating in. Yeah. On themselves, or as you yeah. What out. about though? Even thinking about just watching it, so watching porn online. What have you heard about children and porn? I know that it's certainly causing um, issues around um, their understanding of what sex is, um, mm -hmm. a, an unrealistic perception of what um, male and female bodies look like, what a healthy interaction looks like. It can yeah. um, show young teenage boys that. The responses that women make sound one way whether even if someone's fighting someone off in some those yeah, sort of play right. acting scenes they create this um, disillusion as to what an actual it becomes the fact that a, a woman or a, in a lot of these cases girls could be screaming no yes yeah yeah so a really lot of what our boys are, what a lot our children are watching is telling them oh no that's normal yeah, that really doesn't mean no actually stuff. means yes. Yeah. Wait, what? What happened to all our consent conversations? <clears throat> yeah, really confusing stuff. Yeah. So what we know is that porn is like a silent um, epidemic in our schools. It's being distributed. It's normalised. And parents do have a tendency to say, particularly with teenagers and particularly with teenage boys, well, boys will be boys. Of course they're going to watch it. I had some plenty of magazines under the bed. There is this sense of it being normalised, but almost, it's just, it really is just seen as quite standard behaviour. What we forget is the generational differences. So the porn that is now available is very different to a Playboy magazine from a few decades ago. Porn now, mainstream porn, is hardcore porn. So mainstream porn will involve violence, degradation of women. It won't teach children anything good about consent. Won't teach them anything about respectful relationships. In fact, it really actively undoes a lot of the rhetoric and conversations we're trying to have with them. So we've had so much conversation in the last couple of years in particular about how do we teach our children about consent. Some of you might remember, perhaps it's just the world that I exist in, there was a milkshake video produced by our yeah. government. That I remember the was, two. It was, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and so we're making these attempts and we're telling ourselves as the adults that this is enough. If we teach them in school about consent, we make these awkward videos and make them watch them in school, that will be enough. But at the same time, we're permissively allowing our kids to consume this endless amounts of porn. It's not one magazine. Any child, any teenager with a smartphone has more porn immediately available to them than they could ever possibly watch in their lifetime. It's addictive yeah. and it's deeply damaging. It's damaging to their brains, it's damaging to their future relationships, it's damaging to their sense of self, it's damaging to just how they view themselves and their sense of self-worth. They won't say that in the moment. <laughs> That's the long-term impact. But we also know 
that it's filtering down at younger and younger ages. So if a teenage boy is at home watching pornography, he won't understand necessarily, or she may not understand the dangers of showing it to a younger sibling. It might seem quite funny. Mm. And then that younger sibling says, hey, look what I saw, and shows their friends at a sleepover. Mm. Now, they might only be in grade five. That can be really traumatising for children. So viewing pornography for our younger kids is a trauma. Mm. Parents will instinctively want to believe that if their children have been disgusted, grossed out, horrified, or having nightmares about what they've seen, that they won't go seek it out again. But actually, the opposite is true. Especially if they don't even know what sex is. Exactly. They're like, what? what? That's <laughs> right. So they can be driven. They won't always. Some kids will say, oh, no, I don't ever want to see that again. Mm. Yeah. And others will say, I've got to understand what I just saw. Yeah. Let me yeah. Google it. What's going on? What's going on? I need to, wait, what? Like, just show me more so I can get my head around this. Reinforcing the trauma. We know that girls are seeking it out because they believe it will educate them about what boys expect from them. So we're trapped in this cycle. It's run way ahead of us in our inadequate milkshake but it's videos. It's normalised in the media though too, isn't it? A lot, a lot of it. So normalised. Yeah, mainstream yeah. TV, everything's way more sexualised than ever. Yeah, even yeah. back in Friends, like, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the series the sitcom, Friends. Yeah. I mean, that's old now, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I yeah. But, but, it's, well, yeah. but it's totally normal. But they talk, you know, Joey yeah, and Chandler in there just talk about porn like it's a normal thing and the yes. women just accept it. Yeah. So we were watching it with our kids and we said, this is not normal what they do, they're talking about right now. This is actually not okay. Yeah. So it was a good conversation. But, they but it's a good conversation if you're thinking about it oh, and you're one step ahead and you go, oh, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And there were episodes we had to totally skip because there was one that was all about pornography and, and they made it like it was just a normal, everyday thing, like... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it is shaping our kids to such an extent that it is deeply scary stuff. Yeah. Um, we also need to be really aware that our kids, even at very young ages, are stumbling across porn accidentally. So they might be exposed to pornography through a friend who says, hey, look what I found, take a look. So it spreads, spreads like wildfire at events like sleepovers. Yeah. But also accidental exposure through innocent Google searches that take a very um, unexpected turn. Yeah. In a former lifetime, I worked in advertising. And for some reason, I can't even remember, I had to search for an image of three people in a tent. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you that went badly for me very quickly. <laughs> um, but it highlighted the fact that how easy. It can be accidental, yeah. Yeah. Even if you search the term schoolgirl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are so many very innocent searches that can yeah, yeah. extend exposure to things that you think, where did that come from? Brain adaptations. Now this isn't one we're going to spend a lot of time on tonight, but it's one I can't help but mention. That we have to be incredibly aware that every time we're using our brains and using them in repeated ways, our brains adapt to that use. We're reinforcing those neural pathways. So every time we read a book and we sit for a long period of time, for instance, or for instance, we might be heavily involved in art and we sit for a long time focusing on what we're creating, we're reinforcing neural pathways around focus and concentration. Similarly, if we spend a lot of time watching YouTube or TikTok, 
where the videos change like this, mm. our brains start to adapt. We become very quickly very accustomed to short pieces of information. When a new video pops up, it's a new hit of dopamine. It can become harder and harder for us to operate with a longer gap between dopamine hits. So TikTok, it's dopamine, 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 dopamine. We feel really good. It's then very hard to pick up a book and read the whole thing or study for your exams because that dopamine isn't going to hit in the same way. So our brains literally reconstruct themselves. They're remarkable. They're so adaptable. We know it's the magic of something called neuroplasticity, that our brains adapt and change throughout our lifetime. And we now know that if we have a stroke, there are so many things we can do to repair our brains. It's amazing. We also have to be just mindful that that happens in ways that are not helpful to us as well. Yeah. yeah. So our impact, the impact is ultimately, we've got to ask, is our concentration span becoming shorter? Yeah. And it's worth even as adults asking yourself the question, do I now find it harder to read a book? Since I got my smartphone, since I started scrolling Facebook, do I find it harder to sit and read an entire book? Do I, am I able to immerse myself in it the same way or do I pick up my phone and seek distractions? Do I find my mind wandering more? If you do, it's a sign that your brain has started to adapt. Our brains have adapted across history. If you think back to before we had maps, for instance, we were very, very good at remembering directions. <laughs> That's right. Then maps were created. We didn't need to map things out in our brains the same way. Then we got Google Maps. Now we can't find our way around at all. <laughs> no, it's an absolute case of use it or lose it. And that's what's Now it directs you to pay tolls. My phone even records automatically where I've parked my car. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I, don't, I just don't even have to remember that. That's right. I mean, it's remarkable, but we are quite literally outsourcing our memory to our yeah. phones, yeah. Yeah. which is scary. Yeah. Compulsive gaming and addiction. So this ties into that neuroplasticity as well. So we know that gaming is designed to be addictive. Companies that design these games want you to stay on it for as long as possible. That's how they make their money. So they design their games mapping out the neural pathways of their players. They design those games to release as much dopamine as possible, to make them as addictive as possible so that you can't stop playing. I'm disgusted with some of the games. Like, some of them are just for pornography. Absolutely. I remember when I was living at home, my brother, my younger brother's intellectually disabled, and he went out and bought this game, and I walked in the room, and I was like, tune, it was the opening scene, I can't even say what it was, it was that disgusting, I said, you are going to return this game, okay, I think he was a bit shocked. But he was just sitting there watching it, because mm. it was... It was yeah. Absolutely. So, the people who design these games know full well how addictive they are because it's designed with that intention. And then, what happens when our kids play it and they have trouble getting off? The truth is that in our society right now, if a child is having trouble getting off their game, what we like to do is blame the parents. We say, well, you haven't done a good enough job setting boundaries. Just say no, just take it away from them. But the truth is they're battling or they may be on their way to a situation where they're battling an addiction in their child. If they had a, if they had a person in their house with a heroin addiction, would we say, just set some boundaries, just take it off them? <laughs> we wouldn't. So there's a gravity to this. You seek support and help. 
and you have the boundaries in place from the start to reduce the likelihood of this happening. Okay. Because once you are there, it is very, very difficult territory. And we know once kids, I've worked with some teenage boys, they weren't even teenagers, they were tweens, who were in this situation, their gaming addiction was in full flight and they were weeing and cooing in their gaming seats because they could not even go to the toilet. They couldn't get to school, they wouldn't sleep. We did start to get them back from that point. We did make progress. It was hard. And the risk of physical violence towards parents is significant. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot for parents to get to that point, as in to make change then. So I, we need to talk about this so that we can go, <laughs> there's reasons why we have to have such tight boundaries from yeah. the start and we have to be really aware that some children will be more at risk than others. Some kids can game and it doesn't seem to, t they'll still be interested in other things. Some kids, it's a remarkable how quick it happens and yeah. remarkable how fast it starts to spiral out of control. Is it? Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. My situation is very complicated. Mm. Um, I do shared care. Yeah. My son goes to school Monday to Friday, so he's with me. Um, Friday goes to his dad's. I know exactly what happens there. So as soon as he gets to his dad's, he's going for his life. Yep. And he's on Roblox. His dad is on the couch watching TV, whatever, and Thomas will be in his bedroom, what, like on the iPad. Yep. He does get bored, so he'll go from the iPad to the PS game, whatever yep. he's got. So he switches and stuff like that, but I don't have control over that, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm aware of it. When he comes over, so of course, he didn't have all that stuff initially when he was younger. Now he's got access to Roblox and stuff on my iPad. I call it my iPad, not his, because at his dad's it's his iPad. Um, only I start a little bit more to monitor, to see, like, and when he does go on it, it's supervised. Like, yeah. I don't really watch what he's doing, but he's around me in the same room. Yeah. He's not in the bedroom or anything like that. So it is complicated in my situation. Mm. I don't have that control from Friday to Sunday. But, um, and uh, yeah, that's the unfortunate part of yeah. mine. And that is a really me. common situation, actually, where parents have one set of rules in their own house, mm. but they can't control the rules yeah. in the yeah, other parent's yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And it, you can't control it. That's the reality. Have you ever heard of the circles of influence? It's a tool that I find myself pulling out all the time. It's basically concentric circles. Yeah. Whereas we want to think about what you can control mm. What you can't control, you might have influence over. And then there'll be the areas where you have no control. But when it comes to what he's doing at his um, father's house, it might be that you don't have control, but can you have influence? So what can you teach your ex-partner about? Yeah, it might be nothing. Some people will have some and then others won't. But then it's also what can you teach to your son? What education can you give him? Or is it possible for you to get parental controls on those devices so that you can have influence in that way? It's really disempowering when you're like, I, and it's, you can be accurate to say, I have got no control. But when, if we can step into, but what can I influence? That can start to feel more empowering yeah. because it's a message of what little bits can I do? Yes. And even if you wind up being like, there is very little I can do, you can still control and influence what happens in your house yes. and that can make all the difference. Yeah, so Monday to Friday when I do have him, yeah. he has got allowance but he has to do other things outside. Yeah. That's right. Because like 
I know he's he needs to look after himself physically. He's complaining about certain things and whatnot, so I'm kind of forced to take him out to do this, that kind of thing, outdoor stuff, so that he's physically active. Yes. And footy is one of the things that we do on Sunday. Um, but it's building it up. Absolutely. Kind of so, and yeah. so what we can find helps with these kids and what helped with the boys I was talking about was focusing on transitioning to high dopamine activities. So we know how much dopamine those games are releasing. So you don't stand a chance of transitioning from the game to dinner or to washing up the dishes or bed because they're low dopamine activities. But can you transition from the game to moving your body and going for a bike ride? Can you transition from the game to going for a swim? Yeah. Moving your body is going to release those positive brain chemicals and it can make, that transition might still be difficult, I'm not trying to yeah. minimise that, but it will be more successful than if you go to something where there's just a dopamine dive. He doesn't like, but he hasn't, I don't know, maybe he's got the energy at the moment. He does footy, but then he's got the energy to be still on the gaming thing afterwards. Yeah. Swimming he'll do it, I'd expect him to be tired afterwards. Yeah. Nothing. People see screens as a wind down. I know that for me at the end of the day, yeah, and I know me. in my rational thinking, I know that it's actually not a wind down. Yeah. But when I've had a massive day, I just want to tune out into someone else's world yeah. Yeah. and not think about anything It's else. numbing is what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. not actually a wind down, it yeah. numbs us yeah. from our current, our yeah. present experience. And so you've got to look at, if me as an adult feels like that. Yeah. yeah that's what the kids have right. grown up with, and with devices. I know, know particularly different. for people who might be neurodivergent, some report that using a screen helps the kids go to sleep. Yes, yeah. yeah but yeah. for the majority of kids, yeah. It's stimulating, yeah. and so our brains switch on with the screens. Yeah. <laughs> that's why then, and it's the blue light too. We yeah. it then keeps us awake and we'll, won't be able to fall asleep, and we'll know that, and then we'll still sit there scrolling Facebook. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's amazing sometimes the choices we make for ourselves as adults. And then we tell our kids, but then we expect our kids to do better. Can Absolutely. I ask a question? Because yeah. we keep we generalise these comments around. We've got to put parameters in place, but every house is so different as it Absolutely. should be because every situation is different but is there some guidelines around i know that no, it would be awesome if our kids were just not on tech but what is a healthy amount like so for instance in our house i'll be transparent our kids aren't allowed tech during the week yep um they have phones so i know they both sneak looks when they're if, they're, if they catch the bus <laughs> Um, but they're not allowed when they get home phones are on the bench and yeah they're allowed to check their text messages and stuff and they don't they're not in their rooms or iPads, even laptops, because I realised that they could see messages on laptops. Everything gets locked up um, from dinner time. But, and then on the weekends, they are allowed. So depending on what's happening on Friday, they get an hour before dinner. Yeah. And they're allowed an hour on Sunday and or Saturday. But what is, like, is there guidelines around what's a healthy amount for them? There are guidelines available, but I don't focus on those. Yep, okay. And the reason that I don't is because all of our brains are different yeah. and all of our family situations yeah. are different. And so, like I said, with the compulsive gaming, some kids can cope with a little more yeah. and be okay. Yeah. And others won't cope with any. Yeah. And you'll find the same thing even with watching, especially using an iPad, and even with watching TV. Some kids just can't watch it at all yeah. before it becomes a problem. Yeah. So you really have to tune into, mm -hmm. no one ever wants this answer, but you have to tune into what's working in my family. How do I feel about this? What's my yeah. intuition telling me? Have we got it right? And every child is different. Like, I find it hard because we've got a boy and a girl, both very different. And I feel like sometimes we have 
stronger rules related to this with our son because for our daughter, I mean, hers is around her phone. More gaming and stuff is like more for our son. Yeah. So she's gaming. Shyler is, Shyler is all about messaging yeah. her friends yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that and not doing much else but that. And so it's like so different for both of them. Absolutely. But she'll and play a game with him to have time with him, but she's like, eh, yeah. Like, yeah, give or take. But I think we also have to hold in mind that not all screen time is created equal. Yeah, so you so, telling me that scrolling thing with the brains has just exploded my little mind and I might have to go to the toilet and have a cry now. Yeah. So what do you mean by scroll? I'm so if you're picking up only very short loves, content, he, so your that's brain he's moved, that. he's moved to, he's not allowed to TikTok, but it's a, it's kids YouTube, yeah. which is essentially, just sitting there going yeah, like, and like we do, do on Facebook, like we do on TikTok, but it's a kids one, and that's what he loves, and I'm like, that is actually the worst thing that I could possibly let him be on, yeah, because but, but if he was watching YouTube, and if he had somehow managed to find a high quality longer form thing that went really in depth into a topic he was really interested in oh, look, he I does might like say that's yes. okay. look, he does yeah. look up very like he loves to see experiments and and like car building and so they generally have a focus to what yeah but it's he really think the about he goes when he does if he does just get into that and i'm like <gasps> that's right so my kids are allowed to watch abc kids yeah they're seven and four yeah so that comes into it yes they watch abc kids why because how much effort goes into a show like Bluey? Yes. How yeah, much yeah. effort goes into play school? Yeah. How much effort, no, not this would not be true of all shows on ABC no. News, because some of them <laughs> Yes. But for the most part, yeah. yes. there is high quality content, yeah. and also the content is heavily moderated. So I know that when they're on ABC Kids, they're not going to be accidentally exposed to pornography. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to be watching a video of Elsa that is playing the song else. of Elsa yeah. and I think it's Elsa from the other room mm -hmm. and actually what's happening is that it's being doctored and Elsa's being sexually assaulted. Yeah. The content is moderated. Yeah. It's high quality. Mostly might still be irritating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, the, that's where we've really got to sort of pull back from the idea of how, mu what, how much time yeah. and go quality. what is it that they're actually consuming and it is not all created equal. Yeah. So scrolling YouTube or especially small children on the likes of TikTok is not the same thing as a child yeah. watching Play School yeah. Yeah. Um, or other educational content. Yeah. So it really is stopping and going, what are they actually doing mm. with their time? If they're just numbing, like we are, it might actually be a problem down the track. Yeah. I miss ABC Kids. No, yeah, no. <laughs> really I feel sad. I know I do. one day I'd rather be having annoying than our teenagers and what they're watching. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Oh, Emma, whatever. Emma, 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 Emma. I'm so glad we don't have to. Yes, there'll be some shows that I might be happy to move on. But. Oh, there was there was a, something in my head burning to get Sorry. out then and it's gone but that's okay it'll come up with these two all so created. all of that is not all created equal that's right we have to be really really mindful of that so what do we do because all of that now feels just not very good doesn't it <laughs> it's like a pile of just weighs you down it feels overwhelming Thank you for confirming the way we're feeling yeah <laughs> you told me that you are quite happy for me to feel afraid and this doesn't feel very good so yeah what do we do now <laughs> I know, it's a lot. 
This is the simplified version. What I really want you to pay attention to there is where it says the most important word is and. So for most parents, what I found is that they'll focus on one of these things. They might set up all the tech protections in the world, but they won't do any of the others. Or they might talk to their kids. They might even fill out an online safety contract, but they won't do any of the others. Actually, all of these things have a part to play. And if we're not thinking about all of them, then we're leaving a loophole where we might find that our kids... Things will go awry. The truth is we could do all of these things and things can still go awry because that is the nature of what we're dealing with. But all of these things are important, even though I know that looking at that feels really overwhelming. So let's dig into what each one of them really means. What does it mean to delay? What do you think I mean when I just say that? Delaying? Protecting. Doing it later, letting them be kids. Letting them, releasing it slowly. Absolutely. So against you. Rachel, you've got uh, times and all that stuff, strict uh, rules and discipline stuff. I don't have that, unfortunately, um, just because I've tried it. It's hard. The financial thing that you brought up initially was my problem and all that stuff. So yeah. juggling and all that stuff wasn't so I had to kind of supervise one of the things, social change, doing other things apart from tech. Yeah. And um, having those conversations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so when I talk about delay, it actually means at every step of this journey. So a lot of the time people say, okay, so you mean delay, like delay giving them a smartphone? Yeah. Or delay um, letting them go on Snapchat? You know, just hold off as long as you can. I do mean that. <laughs> I definitely do mean that. And I mean from the earliest days, building a culture where we do other things other than technology. So going out into the big outdoors and doing all of wide variety of things as much as is possible. Letting technology be a part of life it doesn't have to be a part of your life in these really early years for the people with really little children, but instead of the whole life. The reason, because if we show our kids that tech is a whole life from a very early age, we're not giving them the chance to see anything else. Particularly in the world our children are growing up in, they need to be exposed to as many other possible options as humanly possible bike riding, rock climbing, anything you can do. Because what tech will never give them is good mental health outcomes. Now, some people will hear me say that and disagree strongly because there are many positives that can come from technology. We can connect. I have a brother in London. He can send me photos. We can connect with people we went to high school with. We can stay in touch. We can create so many things we could not possibly create without technology. I created this presentation with it. We were just talking about how much we love Max and it all just works together and it's magic and it makes life easier. And for our kids, there are so many mental health risks that we have to make sure that at each part of their life we're going, how do I delay the next step? Now for a lot of families that really dive in very fully to technology and what they will say to me is these kids need to learn how to use it. 
they have to be a digital native now because they need these skills as adults. But my question is, did you have an iPhone when you were a kid? How quickly did you learn how to use it? Did you have an iPad? How quickly did you learn how to use it? All of this technology is designed to be easy to use. It's, in, it's intuitive. That's what makes it so addictive. <laughs> it's just so easy. So our kids don't need it from the earliest ages to be able to use it down the track. It's just not true. There are many amazing skills they can learn, um, like coding and things like that. But almost always, they could afford to learn it later on. We're worried they'll be left behind. We have this fear of our kids being left behind if they don't start coding and doing all of the things really early. But will they? Or will they be able to watch YouTube and learn how to do it like that? <laughs> just Google it. Yeah, just Google it. They can Google it when they're 20 and they'll probably be just fine. <laughs> so delaying every step of the way, delaying when you give them the smartphone, delaying when you give them Snapchat, delaying every introduction hitting pause very consistently and asking yourself, actually, can this wait? Am I doing this because everybody else is? Am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this because I think I have to? Is that actually reality? Or actually, do the risks of this outweigh those perceived benefits? So many times I hear parents say that they gave their child a smartphone because everyone else had one. And I get it, I get it, and I fear the day that that's me. <laughs> My daughter says, everyone else has one. Or we say they have to have it so they can connect socially with their friends. But when we have that mindset, what happens is we're choosing those social connections over their safety. So we're saying you can have Snapchat because everybody else does. We're choosing those social connections over their safety. We're choosing it over their mental well-being. We're choosing it even though we know that the moment we put that smartphone in their hands, their mental health starts to decline. So we've got to start pulling ourselves up. It's really hard. It's so hard, especially when you've got a teenager going at you. And like I said, I fear the day that this is me. But we've just got to hit pause and go, what's more important? It would be much easier if we were doing this in an environment where everybody was on the same board, where every parent banded together and said, nah, yeah. I'm not. Don't tell me that everyone else has got a smartphone because I know it's not true. And there are initiatives that are very worth following, like the Heads Up Alliance, which is basically parents pledging to not give their child a smartphone, or parents pledging to delay allowing them to go on video games, or pledging so that they will actually check that, that, that their parental controls are all switched on. If we can create a culture of that, can you imagine how much easier it is for mm. all of us then, mm. if everyone actually works together and parents aren't individually negotiating this behind closed doors? Yeah, yeah. The reason that we don't is because we're afraid of judging. We're afraid of being seen to judge other parents. Mm. I can't influence what other people do. They'll, you know, what will they say about me if they think I'm judging them for having made that choice? It's a legitimate fear, isn't it? But it leaves us all very stuck and it leaves us all managing on our own. So what does it mean to supervise? This was another little piece of that jigsaw puzzle. What does it mean to supervise our kids' online activities? 
actually knowing what they're doing, not just going, well, keep, it's like, I agree, I try and keep my kids out of their bedroom, but that got looser during um, COVID, and there's sometimes with my oldest that she will say, I would just like to be in there, the door has to stay open and I'll yeah. continue going. Yeah. But that's not enough either, it's actually interacting with them and looking through together as to what they're actually on in the history, not just going, but we're in the same room because someone can silently, say a million things to my child while I'm sitting in the same room online. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. It would also mean to... Um, it would mean to, and I'm not going to say this right, invade their privacy too. Mm -hmm. Because I know with our daughter, there'll be something going on. Because you can see something's going on. Oh, is everything all right? Fine. And you know like how something. How do you even ask? Yeah. Yeah, like that's my that's my business, not yours. Yeah. Whereas when I was a kid, nothing was just mine. Yeah, and you've just you've really that's such an important point yeah. because I often hear parents say, "I can't check their phone because I'm invading their privacy. It's their private space." In that case, we're choosing their privacy over their safety yeah. and we are is almost paying for that phone yeah is there an, an, an age are we saying it's 18 is it 16 i again don't like to give an exact age but i think but go on it's one of the ages for yeah i reckon that's the biggest time we should be looking at their stuff i i think because there's this a little bit of a trick question, what does it mean to supervise? It depends on the age of your child. Yeah. If you have an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, yeah, yeah. I would be sitting over their shoulder as they're on Google. Yeah. So yes. my kids just don't have any devices. Yes. <laughs> That's easy, they're seven and four. That's gonna get a lot harder for me down the track. Yeah. But it is. it graduates from sitting over, sitting, watching exactly what they're typing yeah. in. And then it might go to, we're in the same room, but it's always in a public space. Yeah. And then it might go to, I'm still checking the router history. Yes. yes. But mo the most important point is that it's about staying checked in. Yeah. It's about going, I'm involved. There is parental involvement here, yeah, not this is now my child's to manage. And there are some mental gymnastics that we do as parents to get ourselves out of having to do this. And one of those pieces of mental gymnastics is, They've got to learn how to navigate it when they're older. So they may as well do it now. Yeah. They have to learn how to manage. They also have to learn to drive a car, but did you give them the keys when they turned 12? Mm. We wait until their brain is more do fully you developed. Think it's fair enough to, like we, with our daughter, have said to her from the beginning when she got her phone, we will check your phone. Yes. We can look through your phone any time. We can, yeah. and it's now four years later, and maybe it's not spoken about so much, but Matt will still do it. I feel weird looking through a phone, but he wants to do it, because yeah. I'm scared of what he plays. I um, actually don't know how I'll react if I saw something I didn't. But looking through a phone has been the best thing, because yeah. it helped us like navigate a relationship. She, not a relationship, she was a, a, friend, a, a friend that's a guy. And we knew him, he was a nice kid. But he was very manipulative in the way that he spoke mm. to her. It was actually interesting because she handled it really well. So it was able to but see. But you were then able to see that that was see, happening. And she but was then able we, to navigate that's that. right. But we were also able to sit down with her and go, we really don't like the way he's talking to you. Yeah. 
you know, what's happening at school, what's, you know, I just think if parents are not, like, they're not seeing these little... They're outsourcing their child's safety to the child, effectively, and then they're checking out. Um, And I can understand why, because it's really hard, actually. If, and especially if you didn't set it up from the very beginning, yeah. it's but hard it, to then yeah. say, I'm going to look through your yeah, phone. Yeah. And a lot of That's parents right. are afraid of the battle that will ensue. Mm. And I can understand that too. And do you think, it, so my, I guess the question I was kind of getting to, now that's how we've done it, but some parents might go, I'm not going to tell my kid I'm looking through their phone, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I would always encourage that being a collaborative process. Yeah. So what yeah. we don't want is to turn it into a battleground. We yeah. don't want our child to feel spied on. So I encourage looking through their phone, staying checked in and supervising, but yeah. not spying on them. Yeah. Because that doesn't build a relationship of trust. Yeah. That doesn't build a... That it, what it builds is a relation of, secre- of secrecy. Yeah. What it builds is a child who will get a second phone that they don't tell you about. So you want to build a collaborative relationship where they understand why you're doing it. They don't, might, might not like it. Now I'm going to go looking for that second phone. Yeah. <laughs> Actually really common. So there's no point having it be a combative, yeah. hostile, I'm sneaking into doing it. That's never going to end well. You want it to be ideally collaborative from the start. When the phone, when you do decide to take the step of giving that phone, then it's that conversation of this is how it is going yeah. to work. And then you maintain that. Because if you forget and you don't do it for two years, awkward yeah. to come back to it. It has to be habitual. Is it an absolute pain? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Was life easier before smartphones? Yes. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I do value Google Maps. But in so many ways, for yeah. parents, there's no doubt that it was easier before the release of the smartphone, really. So we can't go spying, but we need to go looking. And that means we need to build and foster a relationship and the conversations where that's expected. And And where the kids actually go, actually, I kind of appreciate your help. But at least it's not of a shock when we go, hey, we saw these messages in your phone. You were what? Yeah. She knows. Like uh, something we had to, we, uh, uh, we thought, that Snapchat was going to be the safest one out of all of them. Then we held off for ages. So she does have it, but now it's not used so much at her age. They use yeah. it for texting. But what we did discover is that when this whole thing was happening with this boy and Matt was checking her phone a lot then because all this was going on. Did you discover the picture vault? No. Oh, well, there yes. was something we had to address about that, but it wasn't anything like that. It was just something we had to address with her to remind her that boys' minds are different to girls. But also we started to see that messages were being deleted because mm-hmm. it tells you. Yeah. So we had to sit her down and go, you're That's deleting right. messages. So what, because she knew we were checking. Yeah, so yes. So that makes us feel like we can't trust you now because yeah. you're deleting things you obviously don't want us to see. You know yeah absolutely but that I think was good in a way because it we had this trust discussion with her mm. and yeah well it was a trust discussion but also an accountability discussion too because I mean we're all accountable right mm. we're all accountable to something or someone yeah whether it's a guy with a badge and a gun or whether it's you know our employer or you know, or, or from a child's point of view, you know, a parent, you've got to be, you've got to be accountable. 
you're always going to be accountable to somebody, and so you need to be responsible for the actions and the choices you make. So. Yeah, absolutely. On the topic of supervision, a really big one for this, and this would I would say that this is true regardless of whether you have an eight-year-old, a twelve-year-old, or seventeen-year-old is to never let those devices behind closed doors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never should they go into bathrooms or bedrooms. Nudes, capping, sexploitation, mm -hmm. it's much harder for that to happen if the phone is only ever in a public space. Can it still happen? Absolutely. Because at some point you're going to be not at home and your child will be home with their device or they take their device to school with them and they're in the bathrooms there. So a lot of parents back off this rule when their child is taking that device everywhere because what's the point? It's a value statement. When you maintain that rule, it continues to say this stuff is out there and I don't want it to happen to you. It also protects them from other potential dramas. Like we mentioned earlier, the fact that our prefrontal cortex likes to go to bed before we do. So we don't think straight. We're operating from our limbic system and then we send messages that get us in a whole lot of trouble. We don't think things through. Our teenagers definitely won't. It's like having an argument with your partner after a certain time. It's you just you the both of them to go to bed because no one's making any sense. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. You're just not thinking rationally. <laughs> just go to bed. Yes. So, so much of that could be prevented. Kids will also be more likely to send nudes. If it's one o'clock in the morning, they're not thinking straight. There are so many things that can yeah. happen that we can avoid if we just say never those devices are never going behind those closed doors. Being really intentional about that. So I have actually mentioned online safety contracts, but I don't harp on them. Which is actually a little bit strange because ACE recommends them, eSafety recommends them. They're very, very popular. I think I, I pulled this one from Think You Know. Are you talking is, about between parents and kids? Yes. So where you have a contract, you read through it, everybody signs it, it's the agreement. Because they said we have to sign it. The kids have to school. school. The school, yeah. yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> so the reason I don't love them is because I think they can facilitate positive conversation. They can make sure that parent and child have discussed really important topics. However, they tend to get used as a parental tick the box. Yeah, a one and done. One and done, we, we talked about that. I, it was when they were 11, it was four years ago, but we talked about that. They're a really convenient way of putting that responsibility for safety onto the child. And they ignore the fact that kids are kids and they don't really remember all of the rules and they're impulsive and they can't always spot a predator because neither can we and they will get caught up in a drama cyclone that they don't have enough emotional regulation to work out how to navigate. There are so many things that they actually can't do within this. It's not their fault that they haven't developed that impulse control yet, that's just brain development. None of the, a lot of those things, it's not their fault. It's just brain development. It's just their age and we can't expect them to manage it. We can't outsource it to a safety contract. So safety contracts are great where they facilitate conversation, but that conversation can't just happen once. This is a conversation that should be happening every day. Online risks are present in our kids' lives every single day. 
therefore conversations about staying safe need to be every single day, which is frustrating, overwhelming, and it shouldn't have to be like that, and no one really wants parenting to be like that. They don't have to be a lecture. It doesn't have to be dreary, grey, reminding them. It's a collaborative conversation of going, hey, I read this on Facebook today when I was scrolling and I learned this. Have you had any friends experience that? It's a, hey, I saw this documentary on Netflix and I reckon you're old enough to watch it with me. Would you like to? It's a collaborative learning together where you consistently and constantly check back in. And when you're opening the door to conversations and then you're making sure they know that door is always open. It's not a contract you did once when they turned 11 and the school gave it to you. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? I haven't, and I've had it on my list to watch. Since We've had it watched it with the kids. Yes, and how was that? It was a, probably more for our daughter because she's more in that world. It was a, it had really good, healthy discussions, but it was such an eye-opener because you've got the head people of Facebook and all that telling you this is what the goal of what yes. they're doing is to people. Like it's, The designer's saying we don't allow our kids on Facebook. The, design the very thing yes. that we design. Yes. <laughs> it was it's quite, quite phenomenal yeah. that Netflix, of all things, would allow this. Yes. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So um, it's definitely worth a watch. It's definitely yeah. worth a very watch. I have heard a lot of people talk very positively about that one. And another one that I'm really interested to watch, I don't even know if it's available for us yet, but is the Kate Winslet one, I Am Ruth. That she's oh, I just saw her do a speech on yes. that movie the other night, and I was. Yeah, I've heard really good things. Yeah, and I just I'm really like. And I just really like Kate Winslet so much. Yeah. I know. Yeah. 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 She well, just seems amazing. Yeah. And, and she's, she's become. become really she's become a really strong advocate in this space. Yeah. So I'm really interested to watch that. Um, now I've asked this question: What does education and conversation look like? But we've really just talked about that. The point is to remember that it really is. It's not just about lectures at our kids. Mm. It's not just a one-time thing that we attended one thing at a school with them once and then that's done. It's us committing to lifelong learning about this and it's us committing to ongoing conversations with them. And our teenagers are willing to hear it when we pitch it in the right way. When we pitch it as lectures, and I told you so, it's never going to go down well. But if we pitch it as, I learned this, have you heard? You get so much further. Sorry, can I just write this? <laughs> <laughs> I learned this, have you heard? Did you know this? And of course they'll say yes. I think it's okay to not. say that you find it really hard to, as in, I've, we've been recorded so I'm not going to go into it. I've had some super uncomfortable discoveries with my oldest um, that I found and then had to, after I got off the floor, I then had to have a discussion and I just had to open with, just so you know, this is really uncomfortable for yeah. me as well because I don't think we have to pretend that. And I'm like, and I'm not going to articulate this well and we just need to get through this together. It's going to be really <laughs> awkward and difficult We're just going to get through this together because this is super awkward and it's some good Yeah, I think that's actually not so important good. because often as parents and for generations we've had a message handed down to us that parenting is about being the authority. Yeah, and just knowing. And that, that can make parents very afraid to do or say anything that da might damage that sense of authority. So that means they want to pretend they know everything and they won't admit to having made a mistake. Mm. But what are two things that automatically damage someone's authority? 
it's pretending they know anything, everything mm. and never being willing to, <laughs> to admit mistake. their mistakes. So we don't have to be like that with our kids. We can say, this is really awkward. I don't know how to say it and I'm going to do a really bad job, but I'm going to do my best because it's yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know this before and now I do and now I have to change the rules and that's going to suck for you and yeah. I totally get that and I have no choice. Yeah. So it's the really just being fully human <laughs> and going, I am not perfect and I am learning and growing just like you and we are in this together and I am doing my best and right now you don't believe me and you are so mad at me and I get it mm. and I still have to do this thing. Yeah. Um, and it might be taking my Snapchat or whatever it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but I think the boundary, setting boundaries in those situa situations is still difficult. Teenagers are never going to turn around and go, okay, I get that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I'm just surprised you didn't think of it earlier. They <laughs> got away with it this long, yeah. but, you know, okay, That's the most frustrating thing, I reckon, about having a teenager. Sometimes I'm like, I have to tell myself that she doesn't get, see things the way I do. And I'm like, why can't we just sit and have a normal conversation about this? Like, in my head, like, do you get what I'm saying? And I feel like I'm being like, what is there not to get about what I'm saying? And she's just like, what? What I know that? she's seeing me as a bad person. I know yes. she thinks I'm the one with the problem right now. And that drives me crazy. Yes. And, you know, for so long we thought it was teenage hormones that did that. Oh. Now we know that's actually it's not their the brain. case. It's their brain. Yeah. So it's the rate of growth and change and pruning in their brain is really the same as when in that zero to three. So we've gotten very good at knowing how much brain development occurs between zero and three. But in the teenage years, it's just as significant. Mm. So their brain is physically so different to ours that they cannot see the world in the same way. So when we're going, why don't I see eye to eye with my kid? It's because your brains are totally different and mm. it's just never gonna happen. <coughs> you might have moments where you really do. There's moments, isn't yeah. there? <laughs> But those moments will uh, gradually become more. I look forward to those. <laughs> and I won't, I won't mention that it's 26, the age. Oh, God. Isn't it for guys that's like in their 30s? I was like pregnant with my first child at that age. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's scary God. how many big decisions we make before 26. All right, so now, do we need to break for a cup of tea? Do we want to just Bathroom keep going? Me. be a different order but when as we're talking about this these tech protections when we're, as we're talking about the technology that is available to assist in the supervision and the monitoring and all of that it's very easy to start feeling overwhelmed it's very easy to start thinking my kid will know more about this than I do they'll be able to get around it it's not going to be worth it that might be true they might be able to get around it <laughs> it will still be worth it and if you start to feel feelings of overwhelm about it just break it down to one step at a time we're going to talk about all of them that will make it by default it will feel overwhelming but when you go home you list them out in order of priority to you and then just google and go one step at a time and once you actually start the process almost guarantee you'll have a light bulb moment where you go that actually wasn't that hard it was actually way harder in my head 
than it is when I, once I start doing it. It's one of those things that once you get the ball rolling and you get some momentum, it actually just starts to feel okay. I think in writing, it's called fear of the blank screen. When you're just looking like at a new presentation or something, you're like, I don't know where to start. Put it off, put it off, put it off. Once you get the ball rolling, it's fine. It actually feels good. This is the same. But what you will also find is that there are plenty of kids on YouTube. Everything you look at to learn about parental controls, you'll find comments left by kids asking, thanks for letting me how to know how to get around it. <laughs> and that is why tech protections can't be the only element. That's why we had that whole circle and all of those pieces go together. Because the tech can fail and kids can get around it. And it is still worth it and we still do it and it still presents it still prevents accidental exposures to things like pornography and it still makes a value statement. We still do it. And we have to know that it is not infallible and we can't put all our hopes into this stuff. Okay. This is about as simple as I can make it. We break it down. Individual devices need all of their monitoring options switched on. If you're an Android person, don't ask them for help because I won't be able to help you. But it is called digital well-being in Android. So you look it up, switch on every option it then presents you with. It's actually in here too. It's on the back. Oh, thank you. We can take one of these. Yep. Once you start the process of switching on these things, you'll have a moment where you go, ah, that was actually really straightforward. It's designed to walk me through it. You'll get the ball rolling, it won't feel so bad. That means switching them on, on all your iPhones, including yours. Because yeah. if your kids borrow it, then you need those controls turned on too. It means all of their iPads. It means the Chromebook that they use for school. Whatever device they are on, what parental controls are switched on on it? Because I can guarantee if there's one that doesn't, they'll find it. Yeah. Also be aware that your Wi-Fi router has the potential for parental controls. Most people, like me, will just plug in the router that's like provided when you sign up to an internet provider. I can get away with that for now because my kids only have access to ABC Kids. It's not going to work for me in the future. Buy an individual router that gives you more options or search the ones available on your current. Um, actually, I don't know if this will work, but this is actually a link just as an example. So you just Google parental control routers and you find immediately the nine best parental control routers of 2023. This walks you through the different options available as well as options for ones that add on. So add on to your current um, router. They will do things like blocking inappropriate content. They the some of them. Themselves. Pardon? The router itself. Yeah. They can also do things, you can also use them for things like turning off the Wi Fi at a certain time. Different routers will offer different options. So it's up to you to choose which one feels right for you but and also sometimes it might be choosing the one that's the simplest to operate <coughs> sure. and other times you might feel like you can manage the one that might be a little bit more complicated but offers you more options but it's the very fact of knowing that this is an option and then being willing to get searching and well, which one sounds right for me or can my current one do stuff I never knew about mm -hmm. so just start looking it up 
And whenever I say, say Wi-Fi router, people's eyes glaze over. But how committed were you to learning when you got your new iPhone or mm. Samsung? You played with it a lot, didn't you? You learned everything it could do because you wanted to. Mm. When you get your new Mac or whatever, you're naturally driven to learn what it can do. And you probably learnt a lot in a short space of time. The same can be true with this. They are designed to be, for the most part, easy to use. Of course, some of them will be better than others. Okay, so then we can move into web monitoring programs. Now, some people would argue that if you have a web monitoring program, you don't need a Wi-Fi router with parental controls. My argument is why would you not try both? Because even if your child gets around one, there's still another one. So web monitoring programs include things like Bark. Bark is probably one of probably the best in the business. It wasn't available in Australia for a really long time. It can block inappropriate messages by fuzzing them over and then send you as a parent an alert that your child just received an inappropriate message. It can alert you to the fact that your child has just tried to send one. It works whether they're at home on your Wi-Fi or wherever they are. It's a subscription-based service. Is it a subscription worth paying if you can? I would argue yes it is. Another option, is, which is a smaller company, is FYI Play It Safe. And then lots of people like this one called Custodio as well. But again, it's just knowing that these things exist. It's knowing that you don't actually have, you, I would argue that going through your child's phone is so important and you do it together and it's, we, this doesn't replace that process. It's another layer to that that especially Bark might be able to prevent something happening before it actually does or it alerts you in the moment instead of you finding out a week or two perhaps yeah, later. Right. It also even can scan the messages for particular words that might um, indicate that a child is in danger. From there we'd move into individual apps and programs. So YouTube, go in and make sure that all of the parental control options are turned on. Or even better, ditch, if you've got small kids, ditch YouTube and stick to YouTube Kids for as long as you can. It's about knowing if they're playing Roblox, what options can you turn on? Start by just Googling it. I don't like Roblox. <laughs> just going to put that out there. The reason being because there is too much user-generated content on there. So any game where users are able to create games and upload it, you will find games that are inappropriate for children to be playing. Any platform like YouTube where users upload content, you will find content that's inappropriate for children. It's a depressing reality. <laughs> These services are moderated by computers and they're never adequate. They're never able to keep up. So we said before that any platform where kids interact with strangers and they're marketed for children, there will be predators. In the same way, any platform where there's user-generated content, you will find content that's inappropriate for children. Some do a better job than others. Well, YouTube Kids is much more heavily moderated. It's, it's user-uploaded, but not in the same way. So that is why every parental control, whether it's in Roblox, it's in Minecraft, you lock them down. Is that a fail-safe? Is it enough for you to be able to walk away and go, I did my job? No. Because like I said, 
more I learnt about parental controls, the more I saw kids watching YouTube videos and commenting, thank you. So, <laughs> thank you for a while, Thank you for what I've learned today. I can now, or even running searches like how to turn off yeah. um, my the wife parental controls on the Wi-Fi router. You yeah. know, it wasn't an adult who searched yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? I've actually searched that for uh, for the Apple products on you know screen time mm. because I don't know. I'm just always suspicious. I. I'm always suspicious, and uh, and I was questioning some of the data that it was telling me of usage and things like that. I still haven't come to an answer. As to yeah, some one of loophole I've heard is even kids um, learning that if they switch the time zone on their device, uh, then it yeah. defaults and that it can't be turned off by some of the monitoring systems because of the time of the time. Uh, <laughs> there are so many sneaky. <laughs> but really leaning heavily into it's still worth it. Oh, totally. You know, there's just no doubt. Yeah. Um, there was something else that's gone again. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, no, it's, sorry. It's, it's my brain. It's probably too much scrolling. It's ruining my um, attention uh -huh. span as well. So, oh, that's what it was. Does it feel overwhelming to think about every individual app? Mm. Oh, my God, of course it does. And that's where we can loop back to that idea of delay. The longer you delay, it can feel really hard to delay. Saying no is actually really difficult, especially when your child is unhappy with that decision. Is it harder than monitoring every single app and turning on all the parental controls? Probably not. The truth is you're gonna expend a lot of energy either way. You're gonna expend a lot of energy when you try to hit pause and delay, delay, delay you're also going to be expending a whole lot of energy once those apps are there and they're using them. So saying yes and bringing it in earlier, it's not always going to solve the problem in the way that we imagine it will. It'll be easier just to say yes. No. Now, another really important point I want to make here on the individual apps and programs is to do your research. So there are plenty of websites available like Common Sense Media that will run you through, and so I think protect young eyes. They will run you through, blow by blow, a detailed analysis of what's safe about that particular app. What are the dangers? So when your, your child is asking for an app, Google it. Google that app so plus parental so protection. Because I use Common Sense for check movies. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Common Sense Media. I was looking at it just yesterday. Um, oh, they, they do that with their apps. Like yes, age-based media reviews, yep. And so there's Common Sense Movies. Yep, and Common Sense Media apps. Okay. Best app lips and app reviews. So it's out there. Other people have done the homework. You just have to be willing to go look for it. Mm. And you have to hit pause long enough with your child for you to then go I'm not just going to say yes automatically I'm hitting pause I will get back to you let me go do yeah. my research it's also making sure that you've locked down your devices so they can't just download apps for themselves yes yeah. it's just about taking the time isn't it oh god I wish I could wave a magic wand and give people one product that meant 
that you didn't have to do all of this work. It's not the reality that we are in. Unless we choose just to never give our kids any devices, which for my children might <laughs> wonder will be the actual reality. Okay. Now, so moving on from those layers of protection, it is really important to feel confident knowing what you need to do if something actually goes wrong. So esafety.gov.au. Actually, this website and the next one I'm going to mention, in my eyes, are actually kind of standouts among government websites. Do you know how government websites, you immediately think it's going to be terrible to use? It's going to be clunky, it's going to be hard to navigate, like they're just, they're often not good at this stuff. Actually, esafety.gov.au forward slash report, so clearly laid out. If you're a parent under stress, you realise that something really inappropriate is happening for your child online, you're not thinking straight in that moment, are you? You might not remember everything that I've just said tonight, that's why I've put it down on that flyer. Is it there? Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. So all I want you to remember is that if any of these things happen that I'm about to list, eSafety is where you go and eSafety will then walk you through what you need to do next and then they will respond to you with how they're going to help. So cyberbullying of a child under 18 years, adult cyber abuse, image-based abuse. But image-based abuse is the sharing or threatening to share an intimate image or video without the consent of the person shown. So image-based abuse is that we've sent someone a nude and now they're sending it to their friends. That is not just something that we navigate with the person. We might do that first. We might say, why did you do that? Can you stop? But then also we need to know that there's an, av an avenue to report it, to have it followed up, and to get that image removed from the internet. So Australia is quite unique in this way, that we have this support and that there is um, e-safety have the power to demand images be taken down within 24 hours. It is absolutely illegal for somebody to share a nude image without consent and they do need to know that if that person who that image is of is under 18, they are committing a crime. It is child exploitation material, it's child abuse material. They cannot, they cannot take it, they cannot send it, they cannot share it. So at all stages, when we're talking about children and teens, we cannot risk normalising in our conversations the sending and receiving of nudes, even though it's so normal in the world they're living in, because it's a criminal offence. So I have seen some educational programs teaching kids how to do it safely. You can't do it safely. It's illegal. What? Yeah. That's, 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 just makes me need to take some very deep breaths. Illegal and restricted content. So eSafety prioritises, prioritises investigation of material that shows or describes the sexual exploitation or abuse of children. Um, or even the option of I don't know what I need to do, so I need help selecting the right form. That's the button you tick when you're a parent in real panic and you just don't know what to do. It's designed to set up to help you. It's very easy to navigate. All you need to do is remember that it's there and remember that they do actually proactively follow up these reports. And it is unique in Australia. And so if we could just help every parent to know that it's there, that would make a big difference. Ashley has to go. Yeah, sorry. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. Um, 
Another really surprisingly excellent website is ACE, the Australian Centre to Cancer Child Exploitation, .gov.au forward slash report. This is for if you suspect your child is experiencing online grooming, inappropriate contact, if you see live streaming and consuming of child sexual abuse material, if you see sexual extortion happening, an individual having a conversation with a child online and saying, doing inappropriate things or trying to meet in person, that should be on the same line. Basically, if you see child abuse material or you suspect a child is being groomed, you report it to ACE. Don't be hesitant to use these tools. You would never get in trouble for reporting something that doesn't amount to anything. So often adults pull back from making reports either to child protection or to the police because we sort of don't want to be a hassle or we question ourselves and think we might be blowing it out of proportion or we might be reading something into it that's not really there or it's not that big a deal. It's not a big enough deal to warrant a report like this. Just do it. Okay. I think that one really, this is actually looping back a little bit to sextortion, but it's really important to know that these resources are available online and they're suitable for our kids to look at. So taking the time to watch little videos like this that are on readily available on the ACE website and then there's more on the eSafety website, just taking that time to say to our kids, have you seen this? Do you know what this is? Do you know this is happening to kids? Teaching them what sextortion is, for instance, teaching them what is and isn't okay online is just so important. Okay. All right. Is everyone feeling thoroughly overwhelmed mm -hmm. by all of that? <laughs> yes. I know. But what I want you to walk away from this remembering is that there's actions that you can take. And that, yes, when we talk about them all one after the other like that, it is overwhelming because it's just a lot of information. And I think I've heard somewhere that people really can only remember between three and nine things from the presentation, and I've just given you like 36. <laughs> so you're going to feel overwhelmed. But as I said before, just focus on the one at a time and you break it down and you work through them as a jigsaw puzzle and it will become a clearer picture. So what does regulation and social change look like? This was another piece of that puzzle we had earlier. Basically right now, online world for our kids is the Wild West. Users uploading content, companies making apps that make them absolute billions of dollars without any particular requirements on them to actually work in child safety from the bottom up. It's the Wild West and they are not required to keep our children safe. As parents, I think we've perhaps been a little bit conditioned to assume that in the world we live in, there are systems in place to protect children. We're accustomed to things like working with children checks and child protection and the police, and we assume our default belief is we live in a fairly well-constructed society and it wouldn't be allowed if it wasn't safe for our kids. It wouldn't be marketed if it wasn't safe for our kids. If you produce a toy in Australia for a child under three, man, you are jumping through so many loopholes to prove that that toy is safe. Same is not required online. You can upload pretty much anything to the App Store. You can market it to whoever you like and nobody is checking on you. So for all we know, how many apps are being created by predators 
for predators to access unsupervised children online. Mm. There is so much change that is needed in terms of regulation, but also social change. What about, we've already touched on, if everybody was delaying devices for their kids, how much easier would it be? What if everyone was having these conversations? How much easier would it be? So I think the social change part of this is really, what if everybody just started talking about it? And we already said often we don't because we don't want to judge other people. We don't want to shame them. We don't, we don't want to stress people out. But what if we stopped worrying about that and we just started talking about what we have learnt? Quickly, perhaps, we'd make a difference. And there's some additional research resources to keep in mind. Common Sense Media, which we just touched on before, Protect Young Eyes, Safe on Social Media, ACE, Not My Kid, and Digital Families Counselling. Not actually, another one I should have put on there is the eSafety website because there really is a lot of resources on there as well. So just knowing that these things are there and being ready to look them up, not just when you need them, but in advance. Because when you need them, you'll be stressed. And when you're stressed, you can't learn. Yeah. So you need to do it in advance. When you just, instead of just scrolling Facebook, scroll ACE or eSafety website. Know what's there and know how it can be useful for you. And I really want to touch on the importance of the kids' helpline. 1-800-55-1800. Most kids don't know it exists. I taught body safety in schools to over 3,000 children. In that time, I had one child. No, had, they had already heard of the kids' helpline and they could tell me the number. One out of 3,000. Wow. The posters are up in schools, but kids don't know. So no, make sure your kids know that it's there for them and have a plan with them about how they could call it. If there's no landline in the house and they don't have a mobile yet, how would they call Kids Helpline if they needed it? If they weren't feeling yet that they could tell you something, but they could call Kids Helpline, how would they do that? That's a conversation with your kids, grandkids, their friends, <laughs> have it with everybody. Did you know there's this thing? And adults can't call it. This is what I say to kids. The truth is adults can. But I love it when they hear adults can't call it. Well, it's, it's just for kids. kids. It's actually got way better resources than you kind of think. We've yes. used it in our house because it just has really great, like, for teens and stuff. Like has during so COVID much. and when, you know, my daughter went through puberty during COVID and there was just stuff. Because sometimes it doesn't matter what I say to her. She doesn't want to hear it from me. Yes. But I found all these really great resources on there about what to do when you're feeling left out of a friendship group. And, like, they had, like, little cartoon videos. And yeah. It was, like, it was awesome. And it's she, so like, much. jumps. Like, if we have a conversation and I start, feel like she's starting to just go, I'll go, why don't should we just go jump on that? And she'll yeah. go, yeah. And then she always finds something and really enjoys it. Yeah. It's really good content. But also, calling Kids Helpline with your child. Mm can be really positive. Because if you're stuck in a parenting or grandparenting dilemma and you're thinking, I don't know how to respond to this conversation or I don't know what to say to help them feel better, I don't know how to help them navigate this friendship issue, call the kids' helpline with them and then listen to what the counsellor has to say to them. Wow. And you will have a string of parenting light bulb moments yeah. and you'll watch the impact on your child and be like, I just... I feel like I've got a degree in counselling. <laughs> it's really magic and it helps out. So I have a, um, a parenting membership group and um, 
in there, we've developed a little bit of a culture or a habit of people having a parenting dilemma, they will call the kids helpline with their kids. Mm. And it's amazing how consistently they go, oh my God, it just was exactly what we needed. And then by doing it with them, you're showing them how to do it and you're also giving them permission effectively to do it again in the future when they need to. And that's it. Gosh, we've gone over time. But I feel like that's because we're just too busy talking. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving up your time. Thank you for being here even though I know how hard it is when you're tired (laughs) and it's late and it's cold and everyone just wants to be home in bed. (laughs)